0: Good morning. Wow, I came to you from all the way from Columbus, Ohio this morning. But I'm originally from Northeast Ohio, from Youngstown. Y'all know where that's at, right? Diehard Cleveland Browns fan, hallelujah. Yes, that's why we pray a lot in Cleveland, amen? (laughs) And uh, I got a little uh, little trivia point for you. When I was a teenager... And I was still uh, out there in the world. Um, I got to know this youth pastor from Youngstown, Ohio, who led helped lead me to Christ and disciple me. And she had she was the founding pastor of Rockside Church, Pastor Donna Barrett. Yes, yes, back when I had hair. Yes, Amen. But it's an honor to be here, and um, I I thank God for Rockside Church. You guys. As I was praying with you, Michelle, and the team this morning, the Lord just showed me a picture uh, of, like, you know, when you're on the mountaintop and you're in the valley, there's two different views. And the Lord showed me a picture of Rockside on the mountaintop and says, I hath not seen nor ear has heard, nor can your mind comprehend what God sees and the things he has in store for you. So I just want to bless you guys in Jesus' name and thank you for being here this morning. Amen. You know, when I was in Youngstown, Ohio, I, I, I got I to fly through this, but when I was in Youngstown, Ohio, um, we were driving through the streets. Paris and I served in Youngstown in the inner city for 26 years. I can't even remember anymore. And uh, as we were serving in the inner city, it was a very, probably the most difficult neighborhood in the entire city is where our church was. And I remember one day before we started the church, driving down the street, And here we are in the inner city, and there's trash everywhere, lots of stores boarded up, many homes boarded up, kids, you know, in a difficult environment. And I looked at this billboard, and the billboard said, and it it was a picture of a junkyard. And so you got these tires and trash and everything. And the billboard said, can you see the garden? And I began to pray for my city at that point. God gave me a burden for Youngstown. And the Lord showed me I'm going to I'm gonna cause life to come forth from death all over this city. And so we birthed, we birthed the church called Metro Assembly of God. And that church is right in the heart of the city. It's still growing today and it's still alive. And that's what it's all about is bringing the gospel where it's never been before. You know, the church has changed a lot since COVID. How many of you say amen to that? And, and there's two unique dynamics that I've seen in the church since COVID that can either expose a vulnerability or or open up an opportunity. We decide. Amen? And so one of the things is, is um, the fact that when we could no longer gather, how many you remember those days, that all of a sudden God op- opened up the opportunity to go. Come on now. And he began to remind us that the call of the church is not just to gather but to go. In fact, go and make disciples, right, of all people. And so I love that watching the church begin to go. When we couldn't gather, we began, and and we would go to places where there were people in communities that are not, that are not going to ever come here. God was sending us there. And I, I, one of the, one of the stories I have is, is of a, of a a family that was in um, this little town called Gomer and uh, not Gomer Powell, but Gomer, Ohio, 139 people. They were lay people in a church, and during that season, God gave them a burden for this community where they were from, where there was no Pentecostal church, there was no Assembly of God church, so they set up shop in a community center, started cooking dinner, and they started a dinner church in Gomer, Ohio, Ohio population 139, and now they average between 50 and 60 people a week, bringing the gospel of Jesus around the table. And, and that's what I'm talking about, going to communities that that are not going to come to us. And I remember seeing the other thing I love about the church is we began to go to people that are were often forgotten and marginalized. And I remember the story of so many churches doing that, but one one of our uh, wonderful missionaries went to Cincinnati in the inner city, and he started a church underneath the bridge with homeless people and him and his team began to minister the gospel every single week under the bridge with homeless people. And today, two years later, they run about 300 people. They baptize people every single week. They bring them food. They bring them resources. They disciple them. And now the people that lived on the street, many of them are finding their own place to live. They're being discipled. They're getting delivered of drugs. And they call that their church, right there outside the church without walls. Because somebody went to a needy marginalized people group. Then I remember going to people who are often looking for hope. Last year, how many of you remember the war that took place in Ukraine is still going on today? Several thousand refugees from that war have come to America and a couple thousand of them have come to Cleveland and have come to Columbus. And last year I met uh, some leaders that had come from Russia and Ukraine And they came to America and they said, look, we're looking for a place to bring hope to these refugees. So an American church, one of our AG churches, opened up its doors. That church began to worship. And now they have over 200 people in that church. 75% of them are refugees from the Ukraine. Don't even speak English yet, but they're finding a new home, not just in America, but in heaven with Jesus. That's what God has called us to do. The, the other dynamic I, I pulled out real quick is the, because of the unsettled landscape of church. Have you noticed that, Michelle, since COVID? <laughs> like nothing's predictable anymore. I kind of like that sometimes. But because of the unsettled landscape of church, it's caused us to redefine and refine who we are. And quite honestly, I love the dialogue because we're starting to discover that church is not a place that you go to. Church is an identity of who you are. You are the church. You are Rockside Church. If we, if we don't have this building to gather in, the church of Rockside is still alive. Come on now. And, and I, I began to see the way that God is working in people's lives. And um, peop, we are people, not a place. We are the church wherever we go. I'm not sure if my pictures are coming up here or not in the stories. But during COVID, one of our church planters was, they were just lay people at a church, and God put it on their heart to reach their neighbors. And so they began to invite their neighbors over to dinner. And as they invited their neighbors over for dinner, they began to share the gospel, the Jesus story. Next thing you know, people started getting saved in their home. And so they started a house church called People's Church House to House. And here's a picture of their first baptism. Let's see if we got it up. There it is. Right in their front yard, in the middle of the neighborhood, they're baptizing people in the name of Jesus. And many of these people are are getting delivered from drugs, and they're working in rehab homes, and, and they're just bringing more and more people. You see, God is redefining what church is. He's actually returning us that that. The best work that this church will ever do is not going to be in this building. It's going to be when the church leaves the building and goes to the culture and lives on mission with Jesus. And so I, I just wanted to share that with you. The reason why I do what I do is I want to help churches put together a strategy and go out and live on mission with Jesus. I heard you say that this morning. And uh, we even have a book that I'm willing, I'd love to share with you. It's called A Guide to Engaging Communities. This is written by church planters. It's out in the hallway. You can get a free one of these. And uh, I think it would be really helpful to put a strategy together. And so over the last year, we're going to throw up one more slide and then I'm going to turn it over to my wife, Uh, All across Ohio, let's take a look at these slides of how many churches we started. 20 new Assembly of God churches, and there's the different expressions. Because once we start to realize that we're unique, we're going to find people groups that are not being reached with the gospel. And once we find those groups, we're going to ask God, how do we reach them? Rather than saying, let's go plant the church, our mentality is, let's go plant the gospel. And then when the gospel is planted disciples will emerge, and churches will come to life. And so that's, that's kind of the stats of what God did last year all around the state. And then you can see the little bit of dynamic with that. And I just want to pray a prayer of blessing as I go this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the people that came to Rockside and planted this church. Because Independence, Ohio needs the hope and the power of Jesus. And I pray that this church would be a beacon of hope wherever they go. And because there's, there's so many people that are part of this church, that, Lord God, so many lives will be impacted by each and every one of them. I pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to show this video right now so you can get a little warm-up of what Paris is going to share
1: Are made. Then I hear the saddest words ever. No one will take in a teenager, so they split us up. They take Maya to a group home, but I can't go with her. I'm all alone in my first foster home. The food is gross, I hate my new school, and I miss Maya. I've lost everything. No one understands me. I'm mad all the time, and I get in fights at school. So I moved to another foster home. Now I'm far away from my own mom. I just want my family back, so I'm not alone. The second family can't handle my sadness, so I move again. I'm scared I'm ready to give up, feeling so alone. Will things ever get better? In just one day, your life can change. The William family says words I haven't heard before. Gabe, you won't give up on you. We're in this together. So I test them out. Even when I run away, they welcome me back. I think they really mean it. I really love their friends from church. They hang out and pray for us. Even praying my family would get back together. Mm. This is Josie's mac and cheese is so good. Mm, it tastes like the food we have at home. Mr. David helps me with fourth math. And Mr. Joe is helping me with my pitching so I can make the baseball team. Our church team even got us bed so we could go home next week. I feel torn inside. I feel safe here, but ooh, I can't wait to be back home with Mom and Maya. But guess what? Our church friends are coming too to help us stay together.
2: Praise God. Well, I just, uh, well, how do I turn into, go into uh, my stuff after that? (laughs) Every time I see it, I want to cry. You know, it's just, it's sad, but then it's so beautiful the way the church steps in and helps. And I just want to say thank you to Rockside. It's so good to be here today. Thank you, Pastor Michelle, for inviting us to come. And I want to thank you because you guys have been collecting gift cards the last couple years for our teenagers in the foster care system for right here in Cuyahoga County. And I want to thank you for that. Thank you for your part in in supporting these kids and making them feel special and loved. Well, I just want to introduce my family real quick. They couldn't be here today, but my husband's here with me, but this is a picture of my family. We have six kids, and I have three daughter-in-laws, and one son-in-law, and two wonderful, wonderful, wonderful grandbabies that are just my heart. So this is our family, and you can see we have a very diverse family. They're a lot of fun, and um, I just, I love my family. I wanted you to see that. You can see they all look just like us, right? <laughs> no, you can tell that we, that um, some of them are adopted, and we uh, we fostered for like 10 years, and we had the, um, the, just the opportunity to adopt three of our foster children that have just brought such joy and such a blessing into our home. And we're just so grateful for that. So I, as Pastor Michelle said, I'm the director of Father's Heart, and Father's Heart mobilizes and equips churches to care for vulnerable children and families that's what we do. We help the church do what God's called us to do, to care for the vulnerable, care for the orphan. And we help the church in four different areas. There's the area of awareness, We give them uh, tools and information that they can help uh, bring their congregations uh, uh, to awareness of the foster care crisis that we have. And then there's also prevention. We want to prevent kids from going into the foster care system. So we help churches know how to support families that are fragile and who are at risk of losing their kids to foster care. And then thirdly, intervention. We want to intervene. We want to raise up more foster and adoptive families for these kids so that there's more than enough homes. And then not only that, but it's so important that we surround these foster families with support, like you saw in the video. They say that 50% of foster families will drop out and quit within the first year because it is very, very difficult. I know from experience, you're bringing trauma into your home, and and it creates a little bit of havoc. But when you have a support system around you, it makes it so doable. They say that if a church has a support system around a foster family, that foster family is like 90% likely to stay fostering for a number of years. So it makes it so doable. And then fourth is transition. We help churches to know how to connect with teenagers aging out of the foster care system to provide a support for them. So those are four areas that Father's Heart can help the church. And I just want you to know, Cuyahoga County leads the way in the number of kids in foster care. You have more kids in foster care than any other county in Ohio. There are 2,266 kids in the foster care system just in Cuyahoga County. And then 844 of those children are just waiting for a family to adopt them. So I tell you what, it looks overwhelming, but we serve a great God. And you know what? God is a God of more than enough, and more than enough. He has his church body. But we have a job to do. We have a work to do. And you may say, well, why? Why should the church be concerned about this? Why should we get involved in this? Well, there's two very good reasons why. The first of all is God has adopted us into his family. God has cared for us. And secondly... God became man and stepped into our brokenness so that we could be made whole, that our brokenness could be made whole. That's why Jesus didn't go away from hard situations and broken people, but he ran to them. And that's what he's calling us to do, the church. And so that's why we step into this. That's why we do what we do. Praise God. Well, I'd like us just to pray, uh, and I want to just get into sharing the Word of God with you today. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father God. You are a good, good God. I thank you, Lord, that you come to us when we are broken, God. I thank you, Jesus, that you make us whole so that we can bring life and wholeness to others. And, Lord, I pray today that you would just use me as your vessel, as your servant today, God. I need you today. I pray, God, that hearts will be open to receive in your name amen. So today I'd like to share with you a message about being planted, not buried. You are not buried, you are planted. Like I said, I have a grandson. I have two grandsons, but my four year old grandson was over my house this summer. And I love to plant, I love to garden. I have a garden, and so I had these sunflower seeds. So I was like, Oh, this will be so much fun to do with Jace. And so we got a little flower pot and we planted this sunflower seed in the pot. And then I showed him we watered it. And the next morning, he woke up, he was at my house, he woke up, he was like, mimi we gotta look at the sunflower so we go to the sunflower and there's just a pot of dirt nothing's happening and so the next morning he wakes up mimi we gotta go see the sunflower he goes to the pot and it's just a pot of dirt he goes mimi the seed is just under the dirt it's not coming up he thought that that seed was buried But he went home, he came back a week later, and he came into the house. He was like, Mimi, let's look at the sunflower. We go to the sunflower, and it's about two inches high, this plant coming out of the ground. He was so excited to see that sunflower coming up. You know, before he could see that, he didn't know what was happening under that soil. He didn't know that there was roots coming down and something was taking place. And sometimes we think our life is buried. We think we're in a circumstance that's burying us. We think that our dreams are buried, that God gave us those dreams, but they look impossible. We face situations. Situations like death and disease and loss of jobs, and we think, it's buried, it's hopeless. But I'm here today to tell you, God has planted you. He has not buried you. So today, I want us to look at uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 35. It says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You see, Jesus, he saw his death as a planting. But Peter... He saw Jesus' death as a burial. Something that is buried decays. Something that is planted grows. When you have burial vision, you're looking at what has fallen. You're looking down. When you have planted vision, you're looking up and out. God has a plan when life doesn't turn out the way that we planned it. God is bigger, has a bigger plan than us. Today, I want us to look at three individuals in the Bible who Satan tried to bury but God had planted. And I want us to learn three lessons from their life about how to live a planted life. The first one, Moses. We're going to look at Moses. Moses he was planted. We are planted with, with a God-given identity. You need to see yourself the way God sees you and see others the same way when, and help others see themselves the same way. When you plant a seed and it starts to come up, you see the identity of that plant. I know whether, I plant, whether it's a tomato plant or a pepper plant. I know whether it's a rose or a daffodil. You see the identity when you plant something. But when something is buried, it decays and it, the identity is lost, it's dead. Hebrews 11, 23 says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. He was no ordinary child. I want to tell you today there is no ordinary child. Every child is designed by God just the way He wants them to be and has that identity, that God given identity. Moses. I'm sure his mom didn't expect to have him at a time where his very life was in danger, where Pharaoh had a sentence out for his death, right? She didn't plan to have to give him to somebody else to raise. Do you know that Moses was the first child that was in um, taken care of in, by a foster family? He came into the palace of the very king who was trying to murder him. He was raised by the king's daughter in the palace of this man, wicked man, who tried to abort him. But God had a plan. You see, Moses, he had the best education. He had the best training. He had nurturing because he was in the king's palace. God had a plan. Satan tried to bury him. But God planted him. When you are planted, you know your identity. Psalms 139. Ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God has given, come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. There is an all-out evil attack on our children. Satan is trying to kill them in the womb. He's trying to confuse their identity once they are born. And he's trying to rob them of their innocence. There is an all-out attack. I love the story of Gianna Jensen. Gianna Jensen was born in an abortion clinic when the abortion failed. The very doctor that was supposed to abort her ended up signing her birth certificate. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? She was not meant to live, but every day she lives in triumphant victory. She had all kinds of diagnosis of disabilities. She had cerebral palsy. She wasn't even supposed to walk or lift her head or speak. And I'm here to tell you today, she is traveling all over the world speaking and bringing life, advocating for life in the womb. That's Gianna Jensen. God had a plan for her. He had, he planted her in an adoptive home with Christian parents who poured into her life. And look how he's being—he's using her. Maybe you today have lost your identity and are settling for less than what God intends you to be. Maybe you're focused on your failures and your faults and your inadequacies. Moses, he faced that same thing. He had an identity crisis. We see in Exodus three, when God calls him to lead his people, Moses says, who am I? Who am I? And he's like, but I can't speak. I'm not good at speaking. Moses was probably thinking about his failure. You know, he did murder somebody, right? And he was probably thinking about, oh, you know, I grew up in in a foster home. Uh, He was probably thinking, I'm just a shepherd. He was looking at his inadequacies, but God says, oh no, 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 no. I know who you are. You are the leader that I created you to be. You're a leader. God is good at taking what the enemy wants for evil and turning it around for the good. You know, Satan tried to bury Moses, but God turned it around. Not only Moses, he he also helped Israel have a new identity, right? They were slaves, and they became free. He changed the identity of the whole nation <laughs> so God can turn things around, just like Gianna Jensen's life was turned around. Uh, Moses, he also had people that were willing to support him. In Exodus 17, it talks about Joshua going into battle against the Amalekites. And every time Moses' hands were up, they were winning the battle. But when his hands fell down, they were losing the battle. We need people to hold our hands. Moses had Aaron and her that stood beside him and held up his hands. When we're in the dirt and the mire of life, we need people to come alongside us and hold up our hands. I'm telling you, when we were foster foster parents, there is no way we could have done what we done, did without a support system around us. I had people consistently, every week our prayer team was praying for us. We needed that. I mean, we had people, they'd say, hey, I know you've had a rough week. Can I bring you a meal? That was like a breath of fresh air. We were both working full time in ministry, had foster, had a house full of kids. It was crazy. But It was doable because of the support system we had around us. We need to help people that are willing to go into the dirt and lift their hands and support them. So the second person I want to talk about today is Esther. Esther, we see we are planted for a God-given destiny, realizing that your purpose is beyond yourself, something that is buried Has no purpose. It simply goes into the ground and dies. But something that is planted has a purpose. When I plant my zucchini uh, seed in the ground, that's a purpose. I have a purpose in that because I want some good zucchini. I want some good zucchini bread. I want that zucchini, right? There's purpose in planting that. Your destiny is not determined by your circumstances nor your past. Those things do not determine your destiny. God knew you before you were born. God knew those 15,500 children in the Ohio foster care system before they were born. He has a plan and a purpose for each one of their lives. Esther, you know, here we have an orphan girl. An orphan girl, who people don't think much of the orphans back then. She was an orphan girl, but God chose her to be a queen, right? And she was an orphan girl. She didn't have any choice over going to be uh, the king's wife. (laughs) I mean, this was a, a wicked king, and she was forcefully taken to be his wife. She did not have the best circumstances, but God had planted her there. When, if we look in uh, Esther four fourteen, it says, "For if you remain silent at this time, you see Esther learned about a plan of Haman, who was uh, worked for the king." And it was a plan to annihilate, to kill all the Jews in the country. And so when she learned about this, this is what her uncle, her cousin who raised her, Mordecai, said. In verse 14, it says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You see, Esther, when she first found out about this, she thought, I can't go to the king because I'll die. That's what happens when you come to the king without being summoned. You get put to death unless he extends his royal uh, scepter to you. And she thought, I'll die. And I'm wondering, like do you think maybe Esther got a little comfortable in the palace? I don't know. And maybe she had to realize that her destiny wasn't the palace, but her destiny went beyond herself to a whole nation, right? And so Mordecai here kind of reminds her of her destiny. Like, Esther, you have been placed here for such a time as this. Your destiny is beyond you. Your destiny is going to save a nation. <laughs> and when Esther realized that, she she went to the king, and the king extended his scepter, and a whole nation was saved. God took the most unlikely person and saved a whole nation. You know, there's a story. I love this story about a man named Peter. He grew up in Africa as a a boy in a very abusive home. His dad was very, very abusive. And at age 10, he ran away uh, because he thought my dad is going to kill me. That's how bad it was. So he ran away. He ended up begging for food on the street, being a street, a a kid on the street. Every day he was just trying to survive by getting food. (laughs) And um, he was on the streets and then for about three years, and then he met a man, a businessman was walking by and he thought, oh, he has money. I can, I can like try to rob him, you know. And he went up to the man and the man turned around and looked him in the eyes and he said, son, what's your name? Peter was shocked 3 years of being on the streets and nobody had ever asked him his name and he said my name's Peter and he was a little afraid because he thought what does this guy want what what you know what's going on here and the man gave him money the next week he came back the same day on Thursday, Peter saw him again. And the man said, let me get you something to eat. They went and got something to eat. This went on for two years. This man would see Peter and Peter thought, oh, on Thursdays, I'm going to eat. I know I got a sure meal. But the man was meeting, building relationships with him. And then the man asked him, Peter, would you like to go to school? Peter's like, no, no, because Peter didn't think he could. He was like, I'm just a street kid. I can't go to school. And the man kept asking him. And one day the man says, Peter, you know they feed you food at school. You'll have breakfast and you'll have lunch every day if you go to school. So finally Peter thought, well, that would be good not to have to beg for food and get food. So he's like, okay, I'll go. Do you know that man ended up bringing Peter into his home? Talk about taking a risk. (laughs) he brought this young man into his home, this man, this young man went to school, and at first he was like acting out, and then he realized, hey, you know what, I am smart, I can learn, and he excelled in school, he did great in school, he went on to college, he went on and got his master's degree, he ended up coming to America, and this Peter, he ended up, serving God because the the businessman was a Christian and shared Jesus with him, his whole life was just turned around because somebody saw that this young street kid had purpose. He had, God had, had a purpose for his life. And today, Peter is a single dad, a dad of five kids. He's adopted, uh, I don't know how many, and he has, he's fostering the rest. But he, he said, you know what? God totally healed me and turned my life around. Now I want to do that for others. And so now he is fostering children. But you know what? That's the thing. Our purpose is beyond us. God has something for each of us. You know what? Your, your purpose, your destiny may not be to save a whole nation, but it could be to reach your neighbor next door who's hurting. It could be to, that God's planted you in that place where you're working to be a light and to bring hope to that place and to the people around you. You know, maybe God's given you a heart for children because he wants you to open your own home to children who desperately need a family. What is the purpose God has for you? The next person I want to talk about is Jesus. We are planted for a God-ordained eternity. Some things need to die so others can live. (laughs) Eternity is not only referring to heaven, but it's about our life affecting many lives for eternity. Jesus planted to bring eternal life to all. John 12, 24 says, Verily, truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. To plant, we are going to have to bury some things, like selfish desires, uh, worldly thinking, control, expectations some those things are going to have to die in order to be planted by God to bring life mark eight thirty four and thirty five says when we when he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You see, if we choose not to be planted, let me tell you, something will die. Something will be buried. You know, uh, God's calling on your life, Will be buried. The joy you receive from living on mission with God will be buried. God given dreams will be buried if you're not willing to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow Him. Mary didn't plan on being pregnant, (laughs) Joseph didn't plan on having this child, right? They had to sacrifice a lot. They had to sacrifice their reputation. They had to sacrifice their the first year of marriage, having this baby in their home with, uh, with Herod, who's trying to kill the baby, and Joseph's doing everything he can to protect the baby by moving his family, right? Mary and Joseph were willing to sacrifice to put aside their own desires because they knew there was a greater purpose, <laughs> They knew that there was a greater purpose. Are we willing to put aside our desires because there's a greater purpose? Joseph, I love this. Did you know that Jesus was adopted? He was adopted by Joseph. And the cool thing is, is that uh, the prophecy about the Messiah will come in the line of David. It wasn't through blood. It was through adoption. It was through Joseph that Jesus was in the line of David. Isn't that cool? I just love that Jesus or God has, has woven adoption all through the Bible. And just like we talked about earlier, God's adopted us into his family family. It's so cool. But when we are buried, our expectations of how life is supposed to go, then then when we lay those aside, then we can embrace God's plan of planting us and what he's going to do to multiply our life into others. Uh, I just want to wrap this up, but I want to tell you a story about uh, Tavir. Tavir is a successful banker. He started several businesses, but he began to realize that God had a purpose beyond himself. He had a purpose behind just, besides just making money. And Tavir, he used the gifts and talents that God has given him, and he started a business in Pakistan. And what he does is he has this business where it's a t-shirt business and he gets these ladies who are at risk and vulnerable and he teaches them the trade of making shirts and sweatshirts and they they put logos and stuff on it and they ship it all over the world but now these ladies have a sustainable life you see and not only that, but he uses it as a discipleship tool. So these ladies are growing in their faith as they're learning this trade and being able to care for their families as single moms in this country. You see, he, he knew that there was a purpose besides himself, and he invested in that. Well, today you guys got a seed packet. If you would just take a hold of that seed packet, I want you to know, that you, you are planted. You are planted by God. Planted like Moses with a God-given identity. Planted like Esther with a God-given destiny. And planted like Jesus with a God-ordained eternity. So I want to ask you today, how are you going to use the seed of your life? Are there things that you need to adjust? Are there things that perhaps you might need to bury? How are you going to use your seed? Who are you investing in? Praise God. I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Michelle.